Good morning. It is Friday, December 1st. It is six minutes after nine. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. It was a late night for me, Rob. Oh, boy. You I, are, I you stayed are up in and demand. Watched, I stayed up and watched the entire debate. And in order to do that, Casey, yeah. you extended a giant middle finger to me and my family as you were <laughs> literally right around the corner from my house mm-hmm. and uh, you chose not to come to the house. You said, seeing my celebrity boyfriend, Ron DeSantis, is far more important than hanging out with you. So it was the red state versus blue state debate. It happened on Fox. Sean Hannity was the host and conservatives across social media celebrating Ron DeSantis's performance. So Gavin Newsom, he was forced to not only defend his position, but the entire position of the Biden administration as well. Okay, so so did you watch it or listen to it? I watched it. Okay, I don't have Well, cap- I did both because I was on the computer and yeah. then I was in front of the TV and I kind of went back and forth. So I do not have cable because I'm poor. Uh, wealthy people such as yourself, I know, have, you know, the Cadillac cable packages sure. and have all the channels. Mm-hmm. So I was listening to it on WIBC while I was watching the football game. And what was interesting to me is how poorly Newsom did. Mm-hmm. And I say this as someone who, well, of course he's going to say that. He doesn't like Newsom's politics. No, I absolutely don't like Newsom's politics. But I've said this on this show many times before. Gavin Newsom is straight out of central casting. If you were to create a man in a lab, if you were to tell AI, draw me a president, he looks and sounds like a guy who you would, would artificial intelligence would create to be president. And so I fully expected, and we talked about this yesterday, he was going to go in there and by the standard he was setting for himself, which is to be a hero to the left or a champion for the left, and and you know liberalism he was going to do just fine he of course wasn't going to impress people like us but he was going to hold his own the audio now again i have not seen the 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 visuals of this but from an audio only perspective it was horri- he did horrendous. I mean, I was totally underwhelmed by him last night. Yeah, a lot of people thought that Gavin Newsom was going to do very well because he would appear likable, he would appear intelligent, but he didn't answer the questions. Every single time he tried to deflect and change the narrative to what he wanted to talk about, whereas Ron DeSantis was backing things up with facts and figures, even though Sean Hannity pretty much handed him the well. facts and figures. It, it was, <laughs> it, it, it was you know, Gavin Newsom had a hard time debating the information. Right. People leaving California. What is he, he going to say about that? It's true. Yeah. It, it, was, it was really interesting that he chose to defend Biden and Harris, which I didn't, I actually did not think that was going to happen. I thought it was going to be more a defense of California. It turned into, and now full disclosure, after about an hour, I said, I, this is just, I'm going to stab myself between the eyes mm-hmm. with a, with a, you know, a, a, a large object if I don't turn this off because it's just hurting my brain. But <laughs> from what I, the first hour or so that I listened to, it mm-hmm. was repetitive defense of Joe Biden, which I thought was very odd. Mm hmm. Well, it really, didn't you, I mean, didn't you think that, that for a guy who clearly, and by the way, I love that 
uh, he tried to claim he t- he goes the, th- the thing about both guys on stage is neither of us will be president. And DeSantis was DeSantis was like, "Bull crap! You are totally going to be running for president." Well, that's interesting. You bring that up because that seemed to be the only line that the liberals were celebrating from Gavin Newsom. It was a bad performance, and you don't see a lot of people, uh, you know, and I try to kind of scour the news, and obviously in a country of 330 million people, it's going to be somebody out there to go, Gavin did great. He's my guy. But there's not a lot of full-throated endorsement of that performance last night because it was so bad. Now, the question is, if you listen to that last night, Ron DeSantis did a good job, I thought, of bulldogging him. And what I mean by that is he didn't let him get off the hook. He didn't let him say things that were untrue. He did clap back when there was time to clap back. He he was respectful in the way he did it, though. Remember that first debate in, in 2000 and... Uh, what would that be, 2020, where Trump just behaved like a like a lunatic and would not let Biden talk, and you're just shouting at the radio. I remember listening to this going, this guy's a bumbling buffoon. Just let him talk. He'll forget his name and where he's at. Mm-hmm. Let him hang himself, and Trump wouldn't do it. DeSantis did a wonderful job last time. I thought of, now he did talk over him at times, but he was not what came off as rude or disrespectful. And again, it's not going to make any difference. The Trump people are... It doesn't matter who's better or who has a better record. Certainly, this debate is not going to change their mind. But DeSantis kind of showed you what you really should want from a guy on stage in a presidential debate with, you know, a worthwhile, worthy opponent from the left. I did appreciate how Sean Hannity started it, and he said, hey, I am known in most circles as being a conservative. No kidding. Really? Uh, but then he laid out the topics that they were going to talk about. I did like that there was not an audience. Yeah. Uh, to interrupt, and I thought for the most part, Hannity did a decent job at moderating. It did get away from him a few times, but he tried to get him back on track. Yeah, and, and yes, Hannity's, of course, I mean, look, Hannity, I don't know if you call him conservative, he's certainly Republican, um, and you got to delineate between those those two things today, but... Uh, it, I thought he likes Newsom. They're like their buddy. He's been on Hannity's show before and they get along fine. And so I thought he did. I mean, clearly he has a slant, but I thought he did a pretty decent mm-hmm. job from mm-hmm. what I heard of, of asking. Now, again, the questions were kind of geared towards his audience, but I thought all in all, I thought he did a pretty okay job. So a lot of people this morning saying who won? Uh, many people coming out saying, well, Ron DeSantis won. And then there's the other side again who says, Trump won. <laughs> well, it was here's what was interesting to me, and I, I um, was was texting with people last night about this. There are people on social media who are high profile Trump people. I'm not talking about Fred who lives in his base, his mother's basement. I'm talking about notable Trump backers who were openly cheering for DeSantis to win. And everybody, even people who aren't who are Trump people, you know, were saying, "What a terrible look." that you're so petty that you're cheering for Ron DeSantis to lose to a Marxist because you just don't want any sort of competition Mm -hmm. in the primary. Like if Nikki Haley, who I don't care for, were debating Gavin Newsom, or Chris Christie, who I don't care for, were debating Gavin Newsom, I would still cheer for them because while I don't like them or care for them or a lot of their politics, at least they're not lunatic, on-demand, abortion activist Marxists. And yet you've got these Trump people, notable people, who are cheering for Gavin Newsom. I think the clear loser in this was Joe Biden because it showed you how awful he would be in a debate. Yeah, but 
you don't know with Trump because he, Biden was awful in the debates in 2020, but Trump wouldn't let him be awful. You, debating is an art, right? Debating is there's more to it than just saying, I have the better point. It's the ability to make the better point and the ability to make the better point, just like in our job, Casey, there are people who might technically be better broadcasters than us, or there might be people who have better voices than us, or there might be people who, you know, are smarter than us, but it's a package, right? The mm -hmm. reason people listen every day is because we're a compelling package of all the things. And that's what debating is. Debating is the compelling package. And Trump doesn't have it, and Biden certainly doesn't have it. Mm -hmm. Ron DeSantis, I thought last night, in, 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 was it a perfect 10? No, absolutely not. Was it a solid seven and a half or an eight, which is a B, B plus performance? Yes, absolutely. And that would be good enough, especially if it's against Joe Biden in 2024. So the question now is, will this move the needle at all no for Ron way. DeSantis? No way. Now, there may be some people who were with someone else. Mm-hmm. Who, Maybe they were favoring Nikki Haley or Chris yeah, Christie or it, Vivek. It, it might move on some people who were not mm -hmm. in the in the firm decided camp, and it might help him a little bit in Iowa. But Casey, mm -hmm. you've got core Trump constituency, high profile people who are openly cheering for Newsom to win. You're not moving those people. That's crazy. I think uh, DeSantis deserves kudos. He was factual. He told some good stories. The poop chart that he brought yeah. out about San Francisco was uh, funny. And he didn't get sidetracked. He kept on point. So we have uh, some audio we're going to share with you. And we'll start with this one. And it was right out of the gate. Ron DeSantis talking about people leaving California. When I was in the Navy, I got orders to go to Naval Amphibious Base Coronado in Southern California. And I was a lifeline Floridian, but I went there and I was like, man, this is one of the most beautiful places on earth. And I think California has more natural advantages than any state in the country. You almost have to try to mess California up. And yeah, that's what Gavin Newsom has done since he's been governor. He's the first governor to ever lose population. They actually at one point Ran out of U-Hauls is what he said. Yeah. They actually ran out of U-Hauls. Why don't, why don't we, we've got, I know we got more, why don't we mm -hmm. take a break yep. and then we'll get to some of the rest of this audio because there's some, I thought some really interesting moments in this debate last night. And again, the story is a colossal failure by Kevin Newsom. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Good morning, 21 minutes after 9 with Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Coming up at 10 o'clock, Matt Gentry, who is the mayor of Lebanon, is going to join us. We're going to talk all things LEAP Project. And don't worry, I know you're very concerned, Rob, but yes. we will have the vocal stylings of Eric Holcomb coming up oh. with the All Around Indiana segment. Thank goodness. Now, you mentioned the Matt Gentry mm -hmm. interview. He's the mayor of Lebanon. Mm -hmm. He's obviously a huge proponent of this LEAP district. And... Uh, that's going to be a very spirited conversation and debate. And we, as we said a couple of days ago, we absolutely applaud uh, the mayor of Lebanon mm -hmm. for having the cojones to come in here and have a debate with us because many, many politicians who, you know, claim to be fighters or, you know, real tough guys um, that are far more powerful than him are totally afraid to come in and have that conversation with us. So mm -hmm. even though we don't agree on this, and I think that's pretty you know, vocal and it'd be pretty disingenuous for us to be like, oh yeah, this sounds like a great idea when he walks in here. He had, you know, the 
felt compelled enough to be accountable to taxpayers, to citizens, to give his side of it. And that's all you can really hope for. And that's going to be a fascinating conversation that affects you no matter where you live in central Indiana, because what happens, especially with this water issue, is going to kind of be a guidepost for what happens for the next several decades in this state. So no matter where you live in our listing area, you have a vested interest in hearing that conversation. He was called the worst governor in America. This by a representative. No, no, no. We're talking about Gavin Newsom now in the debate that happened last night. Uh, This from a representative from California. He said, what's clear from tonight is that Newsom's California is not a model for the nation. It's a warning to the nation. You know, it's interesting you say that because if I were to like, okay, let me lay out the record of a governor and you tell me you know because he said worst governor in Mm -hmm. america and you're talking about gavin newsom Mm -hmm. so let let's lay out i'm going to lay out a description of a governor and you tell me if that fits kind of the mold of gavin gavin newsom right are you ready all right um raises taxes almost every single year Mm -hmm. has enacted the largest tax increase in the history of the state Mm -hmm. a well over 50 plus tax increases since he's been Governor sided with rioters and looters uh, during the riots and called them noble. Had a meet and greet with one of these people who threatened to seize his the governor's mansion on live TV. Let him write part of the police uh, reform bill. Um, you know, I mean, we could be here for uh, you know, tried to put you in jail for not wearing a mask. Has overseen the largest growth of government in the state's history, the largest ballooning budgets in the in the state's history. I mean, you would say, boy, that Gavin Newsom, mm-hmm. he sure is the worst governor in America, isn't he? I mean, yeah. we, we could agree with that, right? But I know you're not talking about Gavin Newsom. What? What no. do you mean, Casey? I'm not talking about <laughs> who would I be talking about then? You're talking about Eric Holcomb. Okay, so right. I mean, but when you actually lay out the mm-hmm. description, if I were to say to you, boy, that Gavin Newsom, he's the worst governor in America. And then give you the Holcomb record without you knowing it's Holcomb, you would go, You're right. Mm. That Gavin Newsom is awful. Newsom was uh, boasting about California's performance in eighth grade reading when, in fact, California has the worst fourth grade reading scores in the country. And he was trying to attack Ron DeSantis at one point for the Parkland mass shooting. Ron DeSantis was not even the governor of Florida when that (laughs) happened. And here's Ron DeSantis. Uh, One of the uh, things that he was successful at was uh, his storytelling during the debate. He cited many examples. And here he is talking about Newsom's in-laws moving out of California and moving into Florida. So I was talking to a fella who had made the move from California uh, to Florida, and he was telling me that Florida is much better governed, uh, safer, better budget, uh, lower taxes, all this stuff. And he's really happy with the quality of life. And then he paused and he said, you know, by the way, I'm Gavin Newsom's father-in-law. So we do count (laughs) Gavin's in-laws as some of the people that have fled California um, and come to the state of Florida. So that was uh, right at the beginning. They were talking about all the people fleeing the blue states and moving to red states. And this wasn't even so much a debate between Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom as it was the government, the styling of the governance of these two different parties. Okay, Casey. So I'm going to hit you with this. And if you say, no, Rob, I absolutely don't want to do this, then we don't have to do this. Okay. But I was thinking about last night about Ron DeSantis listening to this debate saying, man, he's doing such a good job. Why would people, you know, hear this and not want this? Why does Trump remain no matter the the voting record or the whatever? I had a conversation with someone yesterday who is a Trump person who also doesn't dislike DeSantis about why 
they are staying with Trump. And he got me thinking about the real issue that Ron DeSantis has on why he can't break through. Would mm. you would you indulge me in the next segment? Sure. And we can kind of walk through that because I think it's a I think it is a would be a very valuable lesson. And sometimes it's like who was it? Was it uh was it Paul McCartney who once uh woke up singing a song and they said he said, who wrote that song? And they said, well, you did. It's a it's a new song. That is me. Like, I will have flashes of brilliance, which are so brilliant. I think somebody else must have had this idea. And then I realized, no, I had this idea. And <laughs> I, I think that's next. I can't wait for your flashes of brilliance. And we've got more from the debate coming up. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. It is 934 with Kendall and Casey. And last night after the debate between Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis, Gavin Newsom tweeted out, that was fun. I could have kept going. (laughs) Apparently. What does uh, that sound like, Casey? Like somebody who's just trying to cover up his awful performance (laughs) is what it is. Twisting the facts again. Um, There's women out there saying, I've heard that from men for years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, just indulge me for a second, would sure. you? Because I, I uh, had something happen to me yesterday, and there are just moments where brilliance hits me, and I think I must have stolen this brilliance from somebody else, and then I realized, no, it was it was my my own brilliance. Like I think wasn't it Neil Young in a in a a high fever cinnamon girl came to his mind in a state of delusion. I mean, this is the sort of thing that happens to me. You were like Michael Jordan in the flu game, huh? Yeah, on the regular, except yeah. instead of brilliant music, it's it's brilliant political commentary. Mm-hmm. So my mother-in-law said something to me yesterday. It was her day to watch uh, Olivia. And so she's there when I get home from work. And uh, I sit down and she goes, now, I know you don't want to talk politics because you do it all day, Mm -hmm. but it's like, what am I, like, it's my mother-in-law. You just took care of my child. What am I going to say? So so she she listens to the show. And so she said, I want to talk to you about why so many people will not move off Trump and go to DeSantis. And I said, okay, um, because she is she's very conservative. She uh, is a Trump person, but she's not dislike DeSantis. It's like she, you know, would be 100% vote for him. She's not one of these people on Twitter, you know, like, it's like I hope DeSantis loses. Is she the-, the person who just wants to vote for the candidate? Well, she's very conservative. Like, she, I, she would not be a fan of Christie or someone like okay. that. But but she said, I, I want to explain to you why we, you know, she's a Trump supporter, still support Trump. And I said, okay, it's fine. And I thought she made an interesting point. And what she said is it's not even, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's not even really about Trump. It's about what they did to Trump. Mm-hmm. And she said, whether it is the electioneering stuff, if it was the repeated attacks the entire time that he was in office, if it's what they were doing, are doing to him now, she said, if you let them get away with it, and I guess that means get away with it is that Trump doesn't get to be the president, then they will keep doing it to other people. And even if Trump isn't the best politically or ideology uh, from an ideological perspective, there has to be a pushback and this has to stop. And the only way it stops is by getting Trump back in office. So she's saying that the Trump vote equals accountability. Right. It is, it is, we have, it is about stopping is about stopping what is going on in this country and how the left it was is successfully able to essentially 
steal a presidency. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the election issue. It's what they did to him during his presidency. It's what they're doing to him now. And so in her mind, she's not really fighting for Trump. She's fighting for herself and the people that she loves and cares about. And so I thought that was a really interesting perspective on that. And, And so... I said, well, what about the governance, though? Because to me, the governance is what matters more. Look, I agree. There's obviously were serious issues with with the election. We've documented that many times here. However, if I think Ron DeSantis would do a much better job as president, which I do, why would I seemingly harm myself in order? Yeah, I get it. Like, you got to stand up for yourself. But am I harming myself? By putting the revenge tour, mm-hmm. or the they can't do that to our pledges. Only we can do that to our pledges. Sure. Are, am, am I not essentially harming myself if that's my way of voting? So can't you hold the left accountable while still voting for DeSantis? Yeah, that, that that's that's and that's the struggle I'm with because I was listening to her say this. I'm going, you know, that's really insightful. And that's actually, I totally now kind of get where she's coming from Mm -hmm. with this. But then at the same time, I struggle. If I think DeSantis would do a better job, how loyal are you to, I mean, you see this conundrum and it's this really great conundrum. And so then as I'm listening to the debate last night, you know, we talked about, we thought DeSantis did a pretty good job. Newsom did a terrible job. And maybe it wasn't so much DeSantis did great as Newsom did terrible. But I was thinking like, why is it that DeSantis has struggled so much? And I think what my mother-in-law said is part of it. But I also think that over the past, especially seven, eight years, what it means to be a Republican has lost its meaning. And I know that sounds like Austin Powers going, allow myself to introduce myself. Mm -hmm. But can you tell me what it means to be a Republican anymore, Casey? Anymore, yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you're supposed to uh, fiscal responsibility and small government, but not what we, it's supposed to be. Like based on the actions, we don't have those things, right? Based on the actions of uh-huh. the national Republicans, yeah. And let's just even take the Republicans here in Indiana. Can you tell me mm. what it means to be a Republican? I know what the party platform says. I know what it on paper is supposed to be. I'm telling you, though, based on the actual actions of the Republicans, say from 2016 to present day, what it means to be a Republican. Okay, and you said to say what it means to be a Republican. Being a Republican right now is to say what it means to be a Republican. It's not to do. Right. It's to say. And so, like, if you were to pin down, so Anne Hathaway is the new state party chairperson. Mm -hmm. And if you were to pin Anne Hathaway down right now and ask her, what does it mean to be a Republican and what sort of what sort of Republicans are you for? She will not tell you. She absolutely will not be able to answer that question because the Republican Party and the Democrats are the same same way, but we're a state run by Republicans. And we're talking about DeSantis right now. Mm -hmm. Politics now is just simply big business to the vast majority of these people in it. It's not about ideology anymore. It's not about right and wrong. It's simply, for someone like Anna Hathaway, she is in the Republican business, and her job, whether it's at the mayoral level or the statehouse level or county levels, is it's like growing the company. It's not about a quality product. It's about selling as much of the product as I can, 
And if that means that we got elect Republicans that are for raising taxes, which they clearly are down the street from mm -hmm. us, she'll do it. Mm -hmm. Kyle Huffer was the same way. I'm, I, I'm picking on Anne Hathaway because she's the person in there now, and her and Huffer are meet the new boss, same as the old boss. But that's the business Kyle Huffer and Eric Holcomb were in, too. That's why when they talk about a big tent, the big tent means more liberals, getting more liberals to vote for us. It doesn't mean getting conservatives to feel good about us. They don't care because they take, they take in their business model, the conservative is the repeat consumer. The conservative is the person that no matter how crappy uh, a cola may taste, I'll pick Coke as an example, they're going to buy Coke <laughs> no matter what because they're a Coke loyalist. Mm -hmm. And this is when we talk about giving your vote away that you are enabling this bad behavior when people go, well, we can't have a Democrat in there. The Republican Party, Anne Hathaway, Kyle Hupfer before her, the National Republicans, Rona Ronna McDaniel, mm -hmm. are looking at that going, thank you, so we don't have to care about you. We don't have to listen to you. We don't have to appeal to you. And this is why every year the Republican Party, nationally and locally, becomes about big government and bright, shiny objects and how much stuff they feel they, the government can give people. My point to bring all of this back to Ron DeSantis is he struggles to connect because there is no definition anymore of what it means to be a Republican. They're not the party of low taxes. They're not the party of limited government. They're not the party of accountable government. They're not the party of government reform. So Ron DeSantis struggles because since you can't define what it is, you can't define that he's the best at it. Well, when it comes to the party chairs like Anne Hathaway or Rona Ronna McDaniel, that is their job to sell the party. It shouldn't be, though, Casey. The job should be to elect people who agree with your platform. And every two years we go through this ridiculous song and dance at the state convention or at the national convention every four years where we adopt a party platform and that's what the people are supposed to be about and if someone is running who is not for the things that you as a party have adopted as your platform then you should resoundingly reject those people and work to defeat them in primaries but they don't because the success is how many hamburgers we sell not whether it's a good hamburger it could be a crap hamburger, but as long as we've sold the hamburger, and in this case, it is the Republican elected Republicans, mm -hmm. Anne Hathaway will mm -hmm. view that as a success. Rona Ronna McDaniel, she sucks at selling crappy hamburgers because mm -hmm. they can't even elect the crappy hamburgers. Right, she's not good at that, but that is her. That is their job to sell the crappy hamburger. The problem is we need a new hamburger. The uh, recipe for the hamburger needs to be changed. And last night, when it comes to that debate, that wasn't even so much a debate between these two governors as it was a presentation of facts and an observation of different ideologies. That's what you had last night. DeSantis struggles to win because what it means nothing to be a Republican anymore. And I think it's very hard to see who's the best Republican because it's lost all meaning because of the behavior of other Republicans. Okay, well, when it comes to education, they have two completely different visions of freedom of state schools, uh, what they have in mind. And we're going to get to yes. something coming oh, up next. Oh, oh, my gosh. Yes, Casey. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to, to say this. When we come back, mm -hmm. there is a video out from a guy named Bill Walsh, mm -hmm. and he's, he's from a think tank in Minnesota. Minnesota. So it's not Indiana, but so much of what he's saying about why we never get out of this in, endless drama with public education when it comes to funding and them always wanting and needing and demanding more money. He breaks this down so brilliantly. Yeah. He's from Minnesota, but what he's talking about is totally true here. And we will play you this audio when we come back. It's on the way from 93 WIBC.
morning. It is 11 minutes away from 10. You are listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Coming up at 10 o'clock, a few minutes after 10 o'clock, Matt Gentry, the mayor of Lebanon, is going to be joining us. We're going to talk about that LEAP project. It's going to be wild. I know. A lot of people are really charged up about this, so I think it's going to be a, a good listen. So let's talk about the Indiana state budget, right? We've got about $44.5 billion for the biennial budget. So that means $20 billion-ish every two years. 50% of that goes to education. Education, yes, that's correct. Right. So we're talking about $10-ish billion a year for education. But why does it always seem like schools never have enough money? Well, and so this is the fascinating conversation. The angry red-shirted teachers go to the state house every year and chant and march and whatever, and no matter how much money you throw at public education from a state level or how many referendums you pass at a local level, it's never enough. And the legislature or the citizens or whoever are always the bad guy if you ever raise your hand and go, eh, I think we might, I think, you know, 20 plus billion might, might be enough. And so it got me thinking like, and I've struggled with this for a long time to explain how wasteful the operations of the public education system is and where all this money goes and why it's never enough. And so our dear friend, Dr. Michael Munger, friend of the show, Mm -hmm. uh, posted this video from a guy named Bill Walsh. He's from the Center for American Experience. He's based out of uh, Minnesota. But his description of what happens and how there's never enough money and why there's never enough money, it is just like so spot on. I thought, oh my gosh, this is how I wish I could have articulated this. And he did perfect. This is a little longer than what we normally play. But if you want to understand why there's never enough money and just simply giving them more money is not going to solve the issue, this is the audio for you. We're going to talk about one of my favorite topics today, the circle of education funding. There's never enough money for K-12 education in Minnesota. We're going to try and figure out why. It starts with an article in the Star Tribune this weekend. It says, budget pinch looms for Minnesota schools. Budget pinch? We just had a $17.6 billion budget surplus. We put $2 billion into the K-12 education system. How could there be a budget pinch? Well, that's where the circle of education funding starts. It starts with funding from the legislature. And Democrats do it, Republicans do it, everybody loves to put more money into K-12 schools, there's always a demand for that, right? So that's the first step. The second step is teacher contracts. The the unions watch the legislature and they know exactly how much money is sent to their local school district and they go into a negotiation armed with that information and they ask for every last dime of it to go into teacher salary increases and in Minnesota invariably that's what they get. In fact, sometimes they get more than is allocated by the legislature. In the case of Minneapolis, when they went on strike last year, they ended up uh, agreeing to a settlement that they couldn't even afford. The superintendent resigned the day after he signed it. By the way, this this process takes up 75% of the entire budget of the school district. Salaries, contracts, it's a people-intensive business. And this meeting is approved usually in December, November, no one comes to this meeting. It's, it's on the consent agenda for the school board. They barely make a noise about passing it. And remember, 75% of the budget they just decided on. Which leads us to the next part of the circle of education funding, which I'll call budget cuts. This meeting, let's say it's in March. Now the superintendent, the school board announces, we've got a $1.2 billion deficit we're staring at, like that article was just, I just talked about. 
we've got to make budget cuts. And now we're talking about, again, only 25% of the budget is up for cut because we've already agreed to 75% of it. Okay, pause right now there. Just, just pause it right there for me because this is exactly what happens with these referendums, right? Mm -hmm. No matter how much new money comes in, it's always, oh, uh, counselors are going to be fired or teachers are going to be fired or, you know, your kid could die in the hallway mm -hmm. via an active shooter. So this, I mean, it's Minnesota, just again, what we're talking about here, but it is so much of this applies right to Indiana, and it is just like he is in the state of Indiana explaining what goes on so far. Go. We're going to talk about one of my favorite topics today, the circle of... Yeah, I think we got cut off there, buddy. Okay, so he talks about teacher salaries, right? But we talk all the time how the salaries don't go to the teachers. They go to the administrators. Yeah. Do, can we start where he was again? He's working on... Education. Nope. <laughs> all right, well, well, so anyway, he goes through this circle of education, and I guess we won't have the rest of it, but that's fine. So basically what he explains in this video is that because all the money gets extracted at the beginning, mm -hmm. and then when it comes time to fund the rest of the stuff, oh, there's no money for the rest of the stuff because it's all been allocated to this. Well, nobody comes to the meeting where they're allocating all of the money to this thing, which is the teacher pay, which is because it's not, you know, it is publicly advertised and it fits the legal requirement. But it, it, that is where the people need to be to be deciphering through the budget. But because of apathy or a lack of understanding or because government funding is so complex, nobody goes to that meeting. Well, then when you say, well, Sally's English teacher might lose her job. Mm -hmm. Well, we can't have that. Well, who's at fault here? Well, the teacher's union isn't going to say, well, we're at fault because we gobbled up all of the money instead of being judicious with the resources and we took it all for ourselves. They blame it on the legislature or the local school board who, if it's a local school board, they say, well, screw that. We're not doing that. The legislature's the bad guy. And it just keeps coming full circle, where if they weren't gobbling up all the resources every time new dollars get added, then we wouldn't have this issue where Sally's English teacher might lose her job or a school program or the band might get cut or whatever doomsday scenario that these local school boards or superintendents throw out at people, and it's a never-ending cycle. Right, so it ends with everybody saying that there's a lack of funding, and then it goes back to the top of the circle, and you start the process all over again. Yeah, it never ends, and the reason is not a lack of money. The reason is not because the legislature is being stingy or hates kids or hates teachers. It's because they're gobbling up all the resources and not leaving resources for anything else. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Stick around. Coming up at the top of the hour, we're going to speak with Matt Gentry, mayor of Lebanon, about the LEAP project. It's 93 WIBC. Good morning.